Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the LawCast. This time, we're going back to cover the debut of Hollywood Rock. It's No Way Out 2003. Kyush, what were the odds that we would end up doing this show the same week Hollywood Rock finally returned? After 20 years. You know, sometimes... We schedule something just because we kind of think that it might work out. But in our wildest dreams, I don't think we ever imagined that The Rock would ever again open his mouth and Hollywood would pour back out of his wonderful vocal cords. My God, what a glorious week it is. It is crazy to see this character back. This character that like we're all we all romanticize and love. And I think like your average wrestling fan has no memory of. Yeah, the average wrestling fan had tuned completely out by that time. And again, Hollywood Rock only functionally existed for like six months across a couple of periods. Uh, He only had really horrible fucking matches with everyone he wrestled other than the Hurricane. (laughs) He did have great chemistry with the Hurricane, though. He had like five segments that we all remember and cherish and watch on YouTube millions and millions of times. But you know what? Having him back, even for that moment, even for like a five-minute promo that he cut, it's just so obvious this was the character he was born to play. This is, I don't know if this is what he's actually like, but he, you can just, he so much has the crowd in the palm of his hand when he's doing this. He's so comfortable. And when he has to like insult people as a baby face, doesn't it just seem like he's just trying he's got like beads of sweat on his forehead trying yeah. not to make gay jokes because he just doesn't know how to do it as a baby face anymore but like as a heel he just slips so perfectly and naturally into it just him breaking out trailer park trash again was iconic i haven't heard that since like 1999 i don't think i've heard anybody get called an inbred hick on wwe <laughs> television in the modern era he just shredded Utah on that promo. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. But first, uh, the start, story starting out this week. Once again, new developments in the Vince McMahon scandal. Um, a major Chicago law firm is putting together a class action lawsuit against WWE on behalf of victims of sexual assault and har- harassment. So this is the Chicago firm Pintus and Mullins which, based on my research, appears to be a pretty credible firm. They represented George Floyd's family and won a big settlement against the Minneapolis Police Department. They appear to have had success in a lot of other class action lawsuits. So they are you know, putting the call out for anyone who was abused by Vince McMahon or other members of the staff of WWE to start assembling the class and sue collectively, you know, more trouble for WWE, TKO, Endeavor, whatever it's called now. Now, let's not get super carried away about this right from the beginning. We are just at the beginning of them compiling this case and trying to get people in on it. The best case scenario right at the moment is probably just that some victims of this might get like a nice cash settlement to help them on their life because they've no doubt been run out of the wrestling industry by this point and much in the same way that like your Ashley Massaro's were. Um, So that's really all you can reasonably expect from it at this point. But if enough people credibly do accuse and it becomes a big enough lawsuit that would be too pricey to really push under the rug, that's when it creates real pressure on TKO and WWE to start like, look, like, what if we fire everybody? Is that part of the settlement? Is everyone going to be cool then? It would take a lot. 
it would really that's not there's not as easy a path to that as I think people seem to be suggesting. They're not just going to clean house over some, something that's easily pushed under the rug. But if this did get big enough, you could see some real changes. Yeah, when you start talking class action lawsuits, I start thinking like settlements and the many, many, like tens of millions of dollars. Right. Like if they wind up having to pay out $10 million to get this pushed under the rug, I think they do that and it's not a gigantic deal. Yeah. But that's the kind of thing they have the cash, you know, cash reserves for. But if we start getting into settlements of $50 million, $100 million, that starts taking its toll. That actually we're talking about things. Yeah, we're talking about things that like if you start tanking the stock price because of this lawsuit, that's when you start to see like, all right, we got to make some big shakeup because that's really the only thing that's going to change anything. If you want to see Triple H gets ousted, you want to see the management of WWE gets ousted. That's not going to happen unless the stock price takes a gigantic hit because of the ongoing coverage in this class action lawsuit. That's pretty unlikely at this point, but it is possible. And relatedly, but not quite and didn't quite deserve its own news item. Somebody brought back Velveteen Dream. <sighs> Christ alive. Like, what are we doing here? Some New York indie, and I don't remember. I, don't, I think it's called Dynasty or something. To their great shame, debuted the Velveteen Dream as a surprise. And I think a number of people just walked out of the show, which credit to them for doing that. Yeah, that's the thing. And, like, they came out and doubled down, like, we're giving this guy a second chance, blah, 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 blah. First of all, you debut him like that because you know you can't put his name on the marquee or people aren't going to fucking buy tickets. You were doing that to measure the response. Second of all, I believe uh, there were members of, like, the crew who were like, if we had known he was going to come out, we would have just not shown up to work. Like, what the fuck are you can't? I don't want to be associated with a guy like that. I also want to make this perfectly clear. There are people who will probably in the responses to us for this podcast and certainly in the comments under every tweet about this topic are like, he was never charged. This is ridiculous. This is like total. Listen, just because somebody did not get charged because there wasn't enough evidence to prosecute does not mean he didn't do it. He admitted he did it. So, you know, maybe we could just not be the worst community of fandom in the history of the world, okay? Just for five minutes. A lot of people claim that they really take, you know, child sexual assault seriously, but they just can't walk the... Like, they can't even disown, like, some wrestler. They can't even disown some random wrestler over it. Listen, there is no wrestler, no matter how heinous an action they've committed, that does not have people online who are just like, hey, man, it's really not that bad. And he's he's still. Listen, we got people standing every day for Chris Benoit. Like, what else can you say? Somebody posted on Twitter this week. I don't remember who it was or I'd credit him. But it was just like if Jeffrey Epstein could do a suplex, wrestling fans would be way into his defense. Because it's That's true. dark, but probably true. Listen, and like, I'm not saying that the people who listen to this podcast, because you're all smart and beautiful, and I'm sure you'll be on the right side of history, are the same people who are going to be like this. But if you go online, every single one of these people, and there's so much of this going on in the wrestling industry right now. We've gotten f- enough years away from like the Speak Out campaigns and stuff like that, that Marty Skrull has scurried his way back into Mexican yep. wrestling. Tessa Blanchard has read. Tessa Blanchard is going to be in a match with Willow Nightingale. 
like mm. a six man where she's on the same team as Willow Nightingale in Mexico. Velveteen's coming back. You can just feel like the all the pedophiles of the British wrestling community slowly rising to the surface. They just outlast you. People forget. They defeat you with stamina. Like Matt, I gotta watch Matt Riddle in New Japan. Do you understand? There will always be somebody unscrupulous enough. Somebody was gonna let Benoit's kid wrestle, and he wasn't even trained. Guys, Rob Feinstein, that Rob Feinstein, the noted pedophile Rob Feinstein, is currently running a wrestling promotion. Like, guys, like, we can talk about evil and pedophiles and, like, horrible people in other walks of life, but in no industry do we coddle and protect these people like this one. Shocking. On a related note, um, I think his name is Lee Cole. He's the brother of Tom Cole, who was... Um, one of the ring boys who was allegedly molested back in the late 80s, is said he's interviewing like a new victim of the ring boy scandal who's never come forward before. I think that's tonight. Interesting. Listen. Yeah. Still get developments in Titan Gate 30 years later. And maybe this is like a perfect time for just like the sludge of wrestling to just start coming to the surface left and right. There are going to be also be opportunities because this is a carny industry. Some people are going to come like come forward who don't actually have real stories, just trying to make a payday. And that discredits all sorts of other people with real stories. And that's going to fuck everything up. It's going to be a dark period. <laughs> we have yeah. to stay the course. <laughs> the hits are just going to keep on coming here. All right. Of course, we'll have more developments on this. I feel like we're going to be talking about this every week for a while. Forever. Story number two, Hollywood Rock returns. Um, the Rock came out hot on SmackDown on Friday. He is 100% totally a heel. He hates the Cody Crybabies, and he has aligned himself with Roman Reigns. Um no official announcement of a match for WrestleMania, but it seems very likely that we're getting that Cody and Seth versus Roman and Rock tag match. I think they're being very careful not to specifically like say that that match is happening. Because again, we're all kind of taking for granted the idea that Seth Rollins will be ready yeah. for WrestleMania, which is not and able to work to two matches now, apparently. Yeah. So like, let's just like chill out about that whole thing. Like it's not definite, well, yeah, it's pretty clear that Rock is wrestling and he's going to wrestle Cody in some aspect or another. And listen, we have been various times baffled, confused, perplexed about how, where this is all going. But where it's landed us is Hollywood Rock, to which I say, great, let's fucking go. Yeah, no, <laughs> something I didn't think we'd ever see again. The willingness of Rock to just commit to the heel bit is impressive, but. You know, the alternative was he tries to play a baby face and he gets his ass booed, which is way worse for him. And he can't he can't take another L right now after Black Adam and the XFL and everything else. He can't take another L right now. Oh, no, this is an incredibly smart pivot. It really oh, is yeah. like. It's going to make him look great. It's gives him a chance. Also, I bet you he wanted to be heel one last time before he retired. Anyway. Yeah. What a great opportunity. Yeah, how much fun he must be having doing this, getting to just shit on the crowd. Yep. All right, story number three. WWE Elimination Chamber coming from Perth, Australia. 
very early this Saturday morning, 5 a.m. Eastern time, I believe, is the start time for this one. I don't know about you. I will not be up at 5 a.m. watching this. I'll probably be up at 5 a.m. because I am anyway. In fact, I generally feel bad because the majority of texts I send Steve, I send him at like 4.30 <laughs> in the fucking morning because that's when I'm up and doing stuff. And he gets back to me like five hours later and I'm asleep. So it never, we never yeah. are, are on the same never timeline. Actually, never actually talk to each other other than this podcast. Yeah, it just ships in the night. But yeah, I'm I'm probably not going to watch this. Sh- like, listen, I'll probably skim I'll it. I'll catch the end. I'll catch like, I'll probably catch like the main event while I'm eating breakfast. I also want to be clear. I'm excited for the WDB product currently. I've been watching, I haven't been watching a lot of the Raws, but I've been watching SmackDown every week just to like catch up with what's going on with Roman and Cody and all that kind of thing. This might be the shittiest card ever put in a stadium in the history of professional wrestling. Man, Perth paid for this. They thought they, Guys, were, they thought they were getting CM Punk. They thought I, they probably thought they were getting Roman Reigns. I mean, he wrestled at Elimination Chamber last year, but he wasn't going wasn't going all the way to Australia. They asked if they could get Rock. Yeah, let's be clear. At a time where we have Cody, we have Rock, we have Roman, we have Punk, we have Seth, we have all of these guys. The biggest star on this show is Randy Orton. God, oh, that sucks. <laughs> Remember when people were talking about Rock working this show? You know, as we're we're doing this, uh, this is your life rock thing, where we're kind of like comparing it to the modern day, and we're gonna start getting into the later times, where like the rock and the Brian Danielson thing and stuff will start to like really correlate with the events that are going on right now. But like, wouldn't it be so appropriate for like Rock to face Cody at this show? Doesn't that make the most sense if that's the story they were doing? I mean, maybe, but if that's ever going to happen, that should happen on a bigger stage than a sold show in Australia. And also, like, the Rock's first match back should not be a singles At match. 5 a.m. Oh, yeah, it's also risky to make it a singles match. At least if it's tag match, if he gets hurt, at least he can just tag out. Yeah, he's going to detonate his quad five minutes into whatever he does. So, like, let's let's make it a tag. So, yeah. Predictions for this show. Judgment Day retain the tag titles over Dunn and Bade? Yes. I don't. <laughs> the new Catch Republic, you mean? What a name. Um, yeah. Women's Royal Rumble match. I would think Becky Lynch, unless like Jade Cargill is unexpectedly the Battle Royal winner and is in this match. So we have definitely Bailey versus Io. I still think that the hot money is in Jade versus Rhea. But since they've yeah, done nothing not to promote, go, I don't think they're going to go to that this early, though. That's not the Triple H style. Right. And so, like, the story is between Becky and Rhea. So, like, that seems obviously, yeah. like, the place to go. Becky needs to teach Rhea what it's like to be a bottom. Yep. Oh. <laughs> Boy, you've really put those words on our podcast, huh? Now we're going to get some thirsty-ass people in here. Uh, Rhea versus Nia Jax. Jesus Christ. Just don't Nia Jax wins that Nia, match. I, I would not be doing this match if I were them. I would just be terrified Nia's going to hurt her. Oh, God, yeah. I wouldn't even have Rhea wrestle between now and WrestleMania. Like, Rhea's oh, your the? biggest woman star that you have. Why are you putting her on the card? And then the men's chamber match, Randy to face Seth, I guess. I thought it was going to be – I was thinking Sami Zayn, but I guess that's going to be a longer-term story. The idea that it has to be one of these six people yeah. is pretty crazy. Because like, like through again, can it? I mean, he's already lost to Seth twice. 
If it's Randy, then he has to turn heel. Which is great. Sure. There's no way it's Lashley. There's no way it's Owens. Logan Paul, didn't we already do that with Rollins? Yeah, that was WrestleMania last year. Yeah, that seems unlikely. But, I mean, I guess and I, a match where he could credibly win the belt because he was never going to beat Roman is a little bit of a draw to somebody, I guess. I guess. Yeah, this is very strange. Because I was thinking Gunther, but, yeah, he can't travel to Australia. Why, why can't he travel to Australia? Because uh, he's getting his American citizenship and he can't leave the country. Oh, okay. I was about to say, like, leading up to it. Yeah, I don't think there's any criminal convictions or anything. I feel like this is Drew just because it fits with, like, the character and the storyline that's going on right now. But man, maybe maybe Sammy finds a way to make it a three way. That's, I guess, we have to have an opener for night two. (laughs) Seth has already beat Drew twice, I think. Yeah. That just doesn't that doesn't seem right. I don't know, but yeah, what a strange match here. I'll say Randy, but that doesn't feel right either. Also, here's the thing. Whoever this is, the lead up to this to WrestleMania is gonna be all about Seth involved in the tag match. Yeah. Whoever this is is gonna have to carry the entire lead into this basically by himself. Yeah. That's gonna be kind of an afterthought. Drew's probably the of those guys, Drew is probably the best equipped to do that. Because it's another thing you can complain about. He's be like, nobody cares about Drew McIntyre. Everybody just cares about The Rock. This is just like the last time I won the title at <laughs> yes. WrestleMania where no one was fucking watching. I love this Drew character so much because everything he says is true. He's just really this, annoying about it. This is some 97 Bret Hart yeah. level. He's a whiny motherfucker, but he's completely right. He's just like, does nobody remember all the shit Jey Uso did? Nobody remembers any of that. Nobody cares he did all these terrible things. He screwed me in front of my family in front of a stadium. It was him. He literally did it. He even knew it was wrong. nobody, Nobody cares about Drew's story. When does Drew get to finish his story? Yeah, I love that. Because, like, I'm sure that that's stuff that he's thought for real and that he's channeling it into the character. But like, A-plus hater. Yeah. Fantastic. We are in the hater era of wrestling, where all the best characters are just fucking haters. (laughs) All right. Let's uh, turn back the clock uh, to February of 2003, where a lot of really weird things are happening in WWE. Shit. <laughs> I don't know. Like we talk about what the weirdest times in company history are this year, 2003 is just, this is like the year Vince's maybe like inner demons leaked out on screen the most for whatever reason. I mean, in terms of like what's actually getting on TV, you're, you're absolutely right. But it's also just that like, the people who are coming and going at this point are some of the biggest stars in the history yeah. of the industry. And it's total chaos. They're just popping in for a few weeks for a cup of four, coffee. Four weeks after this show, you will no longer have what rock Hogan, Austin Steiner, really. Uh, Lesnar's going to almost kill himself. Angle's going to be, have no neck like, but you're going to have Mysterio and you're going to have Goldberg. <laughs> so at the Royal rumble, Brock Lesnar won. He's going to WrestleMania. The World Heavyweight Champion on Raw is Triple H. The WWE Champion on SmackDown is Kurt Angle. I think everybody always knew it was going to be Angle versus Lesnar. I don't think, even though like Triple H versus Lesnar would have been a really big match, I think everybody 
I think they had kind of like written Angle versus Lesnar in ink as soon as Lesnar debuted. Oh, yeah. It's just I don't think it captured the imagination of the audience nearly as much as it captured the imagination no. of like the people backstage. Like the idea of like the two best amateur wrestlers. Weird because it doesn't seem like a thing Vince would get into. There was just something. But they had like an electric competitiveness but yeah. i think that translated better in real life than it did on screen that's can't you envision that vince was really into like because we've heard that kurt and brock would get in the ring and wrestle for real before shows they would get in and like actually start hustling on the mat i can you can imagine that vince loved that the competitive spirit I also think that the fans would have gotten way more into it. And we've mentioned this before, but if Brock's the heel. Oh my God. Yeah. When they did this, when they flipped this around a few months after this and Kurt was the face and Brock was the heel, it was way hotter. Like Brock is just not built to be a baby face at this point or really any point in his career. They're just determined that they're going to find like the next big baby face star. <laughs> and like at, at various points in their history, they do this. And like the one thing, as much as like we don't like saying nice things about Vince McMahon, he's great at building stars, but he's not great at like getting out of his own way and like what he gets obsessed with in terms of these guys. It's better to build a top heel than to try to build a top face, not realizing that he should be a heel. You know what I mean? They've just done this. They did this with Roman Reigns. They did this with Diesel. They've made the same mistake a number of times, always with huge guys for whatever reason. And they should always be heels first. Heels yeah. get over as baby faces. That's wrestling history. So coming out of the rumble, they they called in the big guns. You know, in a span of a couple of weeks, suddenly we've got Rock, Hogan, and Austin back. Now, has Austin been hurt? This wasn't his like no, walkout. No, this, this is when he walked out. Yeah. Oh this, no, this, this is the is comeback when, from that. Yeah, this is when he's been gone since June of the previous year because he walked out. Okay, so how long did they think they were going to have him back for? Because he doesn't know that he's retiring until like yeah. right before this match. They, they thought he was at least going to be back for. I think they thought he was back for a run here. They did not realize how bad his knack was. It's just so wild to think that like he walks out, he comes back, he wrestles twice, and then he's yep. done forever. And then doesn't wrestle again until 2022. Yeah, his last three matches are against Eric. Bischoff, The Rock, and Kevin Owens. <laughs> sure. Makes total sense. Makes total sense. Um, we'll take these. Uh, we'll take these. in. Okay, so Hogan, probably the least interesting of the three. He just comes back as red and yellow Hogan. He's been gone since Brock Lesnar mauled him back in the summer. Which is one of the great killings in the history yeah. of wrestling, where he, like, beats the shit out of Hogan, F5s and Five times puts him in a bear hug, like squeezes him to death, and then takes his blood and wipes yeah. it on his chest, like a like a warrior who just murdered his enemy. Now, depending on who you believe, maybe Hogan was led to believe that he was going to come back and beat Lesnar at Survivor Series after that. He probably was led to believe that, yeah. though I guarantee you he wasn't told that directly, and so he was pretty fucking stupid for allowing this to happen. If he genuinely thought he thought he was going to get to beat Lesnar, are you out of your fucking mind? Meanwhile, Rock comes back as a heel with the Hollywood Rock persona, which is just hilarious. Just just being such a dickhead. His first promo, 
you know, he's like, finally, the rock has come back to Philadelphia. He's like, no, I'm not actually in Philadelphia. I'm, I'm here by satellite. I'm in LA. And he's like, Oh, but I had a big cheese thing. He's like, no, I, I don't eat that garbage. It's just so genius because at SummerSlam the year before he got booed out of yes. the building against Lesnar. And so then he goes away to Hollywood and then he rightly comes back. And I bet you he was pretty annoyed at people who were like, you're a fucking sellout. Fuck you. Yeah. And it's just like, I gave like a lot of my life already to you guys. Like, and now I'm back. Like I never meant to leave forever, but he channels that into this character. That is just like the worst stereotype of someone like pretending to still care about the industry they used to be in after they've grown above it. And it's just so perfect. And then they add in that he's more savage than he's ever been. Just yes. tearing the crowd to shreds, adding in the rhymes, which make his promos even more over. Yeah. Here's the thing. He's leveled up so much on the mic since he was like early rock, but he hasn't gotten to be like a pure crowd hating heel since he was like nation of domination hop. So like, now he is just like eviscerating them. Yes. The first rock concert is maybe the most iconic heel promo of all time. He's leaving Sacramento. I won't stay, but I'll Listen, sure to come back when the Lakers beat the Kings in May. Some of you out there aren't old enough to know what a burn that was. That's the most searing burn anyone's ever delivered to a hometown crowd. That is some of the loudest and angriest booing I have ever heard. We would have to get into Kushin Steve's 2000 sports podcast to really explain why that was such a huge burn. Just understand the rock had his finger violently on the cusp of what was going to actively get booze. This is despite the fact this is the most entertaining. Maybe a wrestler has ever been. That's the thing. Eventually it got to the point where people started, people started cheering him just because he was so funny. Yeah. The shit he does with the hurricane yeah. Which comes out of the fact that he just gets so sick of working with like everybody else who sucks. Where he's just like, yo, let me just wrestle matches and do segments with the hurricane. It's some of the funniest shit ever. Like that's some of the greatest comedy that's ever happened in wrestling. And The Rock is just so natural at it. And then the Austin storyline is a little convoluted. I don't remember why, but Vince in storyline got mad at Bischoff and told him he need like he had 30 days to pick it up or he was going to be fired. And Bischoff's response to this is to say that he's going to bring Steve Austin back to Raw, but he can't do it. So Vince tells him he's fired. But then JR comes out and says, hey, Austin's in for no way out. He says he'll be there. Vince rehires Bischoff, but tells him he needs to kiss Vince's ass. Bischoff won't do it, so Vince books Bischoff in a match against Austin at No Way Out. It feels like the obvious way for this to go should have been, like, JR comes out in his messages, Austin says he'll come back, but he wants to wrestle you at No Way Out if he's going to do it. That, I was literally about to say the same thing. Right? That is so the obvious way for this storyline to proceed. And they don't is, go there. For some reason, they don't go that direction, even though it makes all the sense in the world. And despite the fact that JR functionally comes out and saves Bischoff's job, he books himself against JR the following week to beat yes. his ass. He beats the shit out of JR, crushes a cinder block on his head. Which is really a punishment for the audience because that results in Jonathan Coachman on the mic for this pay-per-view. Yeah. We're going to get into that. Boy. 
They were, they were, I mean, this was coach's big moment and he did not pass the test. We talked last week about how Taz's big moment came yeah, and that he, he actually, it. he aced it. And that's why he's here and he's still a commentator. Coach does not step up to that plate. No. Uh, Goldberg was rumored to be negotiating with the company with the hopes that he could face rock at WrestleMania I mean, I know him and Rock really wanted to work, and obviously they do it backlash, but I think that was, like, why he signed. I think Rock more or less talked him into it, which, oh, yeah. oh boy, I hope, I hope that Goldberg held that against Rock. Rock talked Goldberg into it, and Rock talked WWE into it, because I don't yeah. think they ever really intended to bring Goldberg in. It's been years at this point. And that Goldberg's instinct been... was probably right, based on how his run went. But... Let's talk about this. If they do get Goldberg by WrestleMania, let's talk about how the WrestleMania card changes. Yeah. First of all, that's probably the main event of WrestleMania, right? Probably, yeah. Even without the title on the line. And that would have been arguably the shittiest main event in the history of WrestleMania. (laughs) I'm trying to remember if Backlash even did a good number. I don't think it did. And then we would have had Brock and Angle. And then we would have had... Triple H versus Austin? Question yeah, mark? I think so. I remember there being a segment around this time where Triple H was unhappy with something, and he said he was thinking of pulling an Austin and walking out, which I think was a tease for that match. Which okay, let's just talk about all the like the splinter effects of what's going on here. Austin almost wasn't able to wrestle that match because he was in such bad shape. And literally the morning of, he has a panic attack and literally almost doesn't make it to the building. Uh, So rock and Austin was originally conceived as the main event of WrestleMania. And then they had to like make it like six down the card because they weren't even sure it was going to happen. Kurt Angle's neck is in such shitty shape that there's really no reason they even should have allowed the match. Saying that they let that match happen. Like there, if there's one match that's the most to blame for Perk Angle that we get later on in life, it's that one. That match should never have gone on. <laughs> uh, geez, what else? Uh, Goldberg was supposed to be there, but he they can't get him signed in time. They don't have anyone for Triple H to wrestle. They no. don't. It was supposed to be Steiner. That obviously fizzles out as we'll get into. When it's not Austin, they're just like, well, no Plan C. Uh. Booker, sure. Fine. Yeah. And how can we get that feud over? Have Triple H be racist. Uh, Jericho versus Shawn Michaels was wind up being the saving grace of the show. Yeah. Wasn't even supposed to happen. Jericho pitches it because he's got nothing to fucking do. Classic Chris Jericho move. Yeah. Just like booking himself in whatever's the hottest because he he knows where the heat is. But also they had nothing for Shawn. They yeah. have Shawn back and they have nothing for him. No, no, it's just one of, like, I think what I said about this before is when you think about the previous year, they just blew through all their WrestleMania moments because they were impatient, like Brock winning the title, Brock losing the title, Sean coming back, Sean losing the title. These are all things that could have headlined a WrestleMania, but they had done all of them already. If they save Sean Triple H for this WrestleMania. Oh my God. Boy, yeah. would that have been a great idea. <laughs> yeah, Sean beats Triple H at SummerSlam. Triple H takes him out. Sean is not seen again until the Royal Rumble, which he wins. And it's him and Triple H for the title at WrestleMania. Or if you insist on having Brock win that Royal Rumble, they do a battle royal to see who yeah. gets to face Triple H. Sean is have the a surprise mystery entrance. Yeah. Fucking Sean comes out. 
he he's can you imagine if he's the one who like super kicks rock out at the end instead of booker we would have that was little steve's dream that we would get the rock versus Shawn michaels that was the match i always wanted that we and could never get to the find ring. out that we were never gonna get that match yeah rock turns out, fucking turns out hates the rock him. hates him <laughs> yeah. Sean better be polishing up his resume that is the funny thing, is that the irony is, I don't know that The Rock hates Triple H. I doubt that they're friendly, but I'm sure that they're professional. The Rock hates Shawn Michaels. If he hates one man in the world, it's Shawn Michaels. <laughs> All right, before we get to the show, I got to warn you, this lightning round is going to be a lot. Oh, my God. These early thousands lightning rounds were like take years off my life. TNA presented a work shoot interview with Vince Russo and Mike Tanay, in which Russo infamously said, if you want to see Lucha Libras, go to Japan. Yeah, that's where you have Lucha Libras. Lucha Libras? I don't know. I don't know what month. I don't know my Zodiacs yeah. enough. So, like, what does that mean? Like, if yeah. Laparka was born in July or some shit? Something like that. Oh, God. Vince... I understand how like the Jim Cornettes and Eric Bischoffs of the world had kept a, like a corrupt unlife in this business well into like centuries after they should have, because they're just charismatic talkers and they're good salesmen. Vince Russo, who is a shitty talker and a terrible salesman and an idiot, somehow still having a career is just an indictment of our industry. <laughs> Paul Heyman and Brian Gewurz were suspended after getting in what was described as a pinch fight during a creative meeting. These are the two least threatening men I can possibly imagine. (laughs) Yeah, can't imagine either of these guys doing anything physical. Paul Heyman, like, when they originally split the brands, Vince visualized it as an actual competition, like WCW versus WWE, like a heated rivalry. Yeah, Heyman no took that one, shit seriously. Yeah, no one but Paul Heyman actually took that to heart. But Heyman would actually like try to like manipulate yeah. them to get trades to get his guys on SmackDown, and he would talk shit about their booking and like guys <laughs> listened in on their conference calls, like. Heyman, as a shoot, was trying to take down Raw as the head of SmackDown. Good. And I kind of love that, but, like, yeah. how toxic. <laughs> Lex Luger reportedly told friends he would be back with WWE soon because they were running out of surprise returns. Oh, Lex. Lex, I this understand like why right, you think like that. right after Elizabeth's very suspicious death. Yeah... Uh, that's gross, man. Like they could have gone through every member of the WCW roster. And I think they would have brought in disco before they brought in Lex. The Sean O'Hare devil's advocates vignettes began. So I believe that you are on the record as being fully in the bag for this character, much like everyone else was at the time. Right? Oh yeah. I, I mean, I thought it was the new Raven, which is who should have had this gimmick. Also Raven was fired around this time. Raven was never going to get a good gimmick because he sold weed to Shane McMahon when Shane was 16. According. That's what Shane told Vince at least. Oh, <laughs> <sighs> It was announced that The Rock would star in a remake of Walking Tall. How'd you feel about this one? 
I like that movie just fine. Um, it was not warmly received, especially by fans of the original. But yeah. I actually like that movie. It wasn't okay. Southern exploitation enough for fans of the original? Like in terms of like early rock movies, I think we all agree that the rundown is by far the best. Love the rundown. I like this movie just fine. What other early rock movies are okay? Scorpion King was terrible. He was good in Be Cool. He was incredible in Be Cool. That movie wasn't very good, but he did good in it. He just made so many good decisions early in his career. He was just like, let me take a bit yeah. part in this movie where I'll play a gay hitman just to stretch my range to show people that I have some. Yeah. And like that turned out to be a great decision. And then somewhere in there, he started doing the kids' movies, and I feel like that was where he really kind of got going. He did like did the, you ever tooth, see... the Tooth Fairy, the game plan. Did you ever see Southland Tales? No. Neither did anybody else. But man, <laughs> that's a terrible movie. <laughs> Goldberg and Kaiji Muto teamed against Chronic in Japan. Of course they did. Yeah, why wouldn't they? <laughs> Fucking Goldberg. Goldberg and Muto is a fantastic team. Though it is funny because we watched Muto wrestle Chronic in WCW with Vampiro as his teammate. <laughs> How much was he getting paid for each of these matches? One million dollars per match. That makes no sense. For oh yeah, they were just fully going bankrupt. But like, this is the height of Yakuza involvement in yeah. like. So it was money Yakuza, Yakuza was straight up running the hustle promotion. So like, let's just be clear. Bob Backlund opened a bail bonds business. Fucking Bob Backlund showing up at your house to be like, hey, you got a you got a warrant out for your arrest, bud. I'm going to have to take you in. I'm just stretching you. It was reported that all wrestlers in OVW were told to cut their long hair. This this went through the wrestling industry like a plague. Oh like Vince yeah. McMahon laid down the edict. No more long hair. And everyone blamed Triple H for it. Which obviously Triple H got to keep his long hair, but so did a lot of other guys, to be clear. Matt Hardy didn't have to cut his hair. Jericho didn't have to cut yeah. his hair. Like it was just I the think, up and coming guys. I think I I don't know what happened here, but like I I'm sure some one day Vince was just like, God, too many guys have long hair. It's two eighties. This is also right around the time that they start like going towards the dress code and stuff like that. Yeah. I think he just wants he just decided one day, I don't want them to look like pro wrestlers anymore. I want them to look like actual athletes, <laughs> which fair enough. Nathan Jones debuted. He sure did. The Colossus of Bago Road. What a great backstory for what an awful wrestler he turned out to be. I was so fucking hyped. First of all, this was a period where I was literally had a subscription to WWE magazine or whatever it was called at the time. And I remember reading like a five page story on his backstory and being like, this is going to be the coolest fucking dude ever. He's like a real life Bane. It's yes. insane. They threw him into solitary confinement because he kept fighting and beating the ass of every guard <laughs> in the prison. And they he just put him in a hole. He would only stop when he got tired. Like they never actually beat him. He'd like fight all the guards and win. He would tear steel doors off their hinges. Now, some of this is obviously yeah. blown out of proportion. Right. This is pro wrestling. Promote. Exaggerate. 
However, there is enough truth to this. I believe he once fought like 10 guards at the same time. Because, but there are also laws in Australia where you're not allowed to like do severe violence to prisoners, and so it's not like here where the like, guards would just be like tasing the shit out of him within one second of him lifting his fist. But like literally, their solitary confinement was like a hole in the ground with like steel bars over it. Like it's some bane shit. Someone reportedly contacted Bret Hart about appearing on this show. But Vince vetoed it, feeling it was too soon for Brett to come back from his stroke, and they had too many other returns at the time. What would he have done on this show? Oh. Nothing's jumping out at me. The Vince would they have had him and Sean shake hands on this show? I don't know. It feels very soon for that. I mean, Jericho could come out and run down the crowd, and then Brett could come out to a gigantic pop. Yeah, it just feels when... low on the card. And then maybe that was why Vince wasn't into it, because that's too low on the card for Brett. I mean, I'm trying to – there's not really – like, it would have made sense. Did they – I don't Maybe they did this with him. I don't think – was he one of the people they interviewed about the Brett – or about the Hogan-Vince match? I don't think he was. Even I don't think he would so have made either. sense for that. He would have just been like, yeah, I hate them both. They're both pieces of shit. He would have been a fun Way special better. referee for Rock Hogan. Way better than Hulk Hogan. I can make him tap out, put him in the sharpshooter, he'll give up. Yeah. But they couldn't have done that, because like Vince would have had to like punch him in the face at the end of the show. So, you know. I- I'm glad that they were like, they should not have brought him out here, because he is very yeah. soon after his stroke. I don't yeah. even think that he was fully moving around on his own. It's w- way too soon to bring him out, yeah. It turned out it was too soon when they did bring him back. Goldust was electrocuted and developed Tourette's syndrome as a result. Coming at the end of such a wonderful period for Goldust to have this happen. <laughs> because Booker T takes that Booker T and Goldust push and like leverages it into a main event spot at WrestleMania, which is wonderful and he deserves it. He's super over. This is what Goldberg gets out of the or Goldust gets out of the arrangement. Is he gets Tourette's. And finally, the hammer. Tasked with signing Zach Gowan, Johnny Ace somehow signed some other one-legged wrestler. This is the most legendary wow. story of all time. And I assumed when we got something to wrestle with that Bruce was going to, like, debunk this story nope. and be like, it didn't actually happen. Actually, it's way worse. Yes. They gave him Zach Gowan's contact information, and instead of using it, Johnny Ace was like, I'll figure it out. And he found an like a middle-aged guy who still had most of both of his legs. <laughs> and was just trained to wrestle. Just <laughs> like, <laughs> everybody's reaction when Johnny Ace was like, yeah, uh, he's not 19, he's like 40. And uh, I don't know, he moves around pretty good on the prosthetic leg. And they're like, no, he's 19 and he doesn't have a prosthetic leg. Who the hell did you sign? So they had to fire the. I assume they like paid this guy out, but they had to fire him. Yeah, can you imagine? And like, all I can think about is that guy who gets called with the most dream offer of all time. He's just like some scuzzy indie wrestler. I think he was like australian or some shit too like i don't even think he was from the states and he gets called he's just like hey you're getting signed to the big time to wrestle like vince mcmahon and you're like what and it's like oh wait sorry we met another guy and somehow john laurinitis still becomes 
the VP of talent relations. Again, I want you to How? remember that he also does this when signing Kinzo Suzuki. He does this twice. <laughs> I have never heard a story about that man doing his job well. Well, there is one thing that he did well, which was produce an endless stream of women for Vince McMahon. Yeah, and that's why point. he had that job. All right. So to get into the show, it's Sunday, February the 23rd, 2003. We're at the Bell Center in Montreal, Canada. It's sold out. They're hanging from the rafters. Um, the show does 450,000 buys. That seems like a good number for a February pay-per-view, but it's down from 575,000 the previous year for the NWO's debut. Considering that this is the return of Austin and Rock versus Hogan too, yeah. like this is a pretty disappointing number. It is. Yeah, you would I think I'm sure they were hoping that they could clear 500 if not get to 600. But the thing is WrestleMania this year only does about 550,000 buys. Yeah, here's the thing, is that I think people forget what an absolute bomb this WrestleMania turns out to be. And, like, WrestleMania buys go back up again after this. It's just this one year, it dips into the dirt. Yeah. Partially because there is no true main event. Partially because everything is so tumultuous and shitty. Partially because a lot of the casual fans tune out basically in droves around this time. But I don't know, man. Like, this is probably if you put it in context one of the shittiest wrestlemania like as far as buys go ever on commentary we've got jonathan coachman and jerry lawler calling the raw matches and michael cole and taz calling the smackdown matches again jr is injured because bischoff smashed a cinder block on his head the most egregious part is that JR will come out for the Austin match, which means he could have just been on the call the whole time. He, he got to sell having a cinder block smashed on your head. He shouldn't have been on the show at all. No, he shouldn't have been on the show at all. That's the thing. Um, let me also say this. Like, Jerry Lawler is also terrible on this show, but I yeah. don't feel like it's his fault as much because he is going into overdrive to try to cover for Coachman. And he is forcing it so hard. Yeah, It's always strange when Lawler actually tries. Yeah, like we've seen times before where he had to pick up the play-by-play and he's fully capable of doing it. Like he's not bad. He just doesn't want to. Yeah, that's the thing. By this point, he's so mailing it in that here where he suddenly has to like actually try, he's got nothing to say. He doesn't know the storylines or what's going oh, on. He doesn't know anything. He doesn't any of this stuff. Yeah. Uh, seems like the intro package was cut here, which was, uh, was, I think maybe it was like a music rights fee issue, but bring me to life by Evanescence is our theme song tonight. And they play it all throughout the show. That's a bizarrely over song to be the theme for no way out. Now we looked it up and that song, uh, was part of the daredevil soundtrack to take you guys back. Um, and it became a big hit, but it was not yet a big hit. Before it even got on that soundtrack, it had been kind of like an underground alternative rock hit. Yeah. It won't. It hasn't yet become like the world killer everywhere you go song. So this is actually a pretty much like a pretty like on the cusp like pickup for WWE. I just wish this show was worthy of it because when we get to the video package that actually features it, it's one of the wildest, most melodramatic things of all time. <laughs> 
Opening match, we've got Chris Jericho against Jeff Hardy. My memory is they were building to Jericho versus Test here, but Test got in the doghouse after not following the company's travel instructions and ending up snowed in and missing an episode of Raw. So he was punished by being pulled from this match. The funny thing here is that this was supposed to be Test. Tess was allegedly supposed to win. And so they audible by putting Jeff in here. This is Jeff Hardy's last WWE pay-per-view for years because he bails and goes to TNA after getting released like right after this. And Jeff had been turning heel in the lead up to this show. Yes. They're doing a thing where like Jeff's developing an attitude because he keeps losing all of his matches, which is a terrible fucking idea because Jeff Hardy cannot be a heel. No. Until the Willow character in TNA. Are are you saying that that, w- that was good? Are, I don't are know. You... Uh, am I confusing that with smoking Jeff Hardy? I like smoking Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeff okay. Hardy. The Willow was his supernatural character. You're talking uh, about, uh, like, uh... Immortal Jeff Hardy? Yeah, Immortal Jeff Hardy. That was an awesome character. Um, I really enjoyed this match. I thought these guys clicked really well. Yeah, considering this match was never supposed to happen, they go out and have a 13-minute banger of an opener. That's like genuinely gets... The crowd wants to cheer Jericho so hard, it's actually super smart giving them Hardy because that's one of the few guys I think they would have cheered over Jericho to any extent. Yeah. And they both look great here. I noticed here, and like I've watched, noticed this in Jeff Hardy matches before, isn't it every time he does an offensive move, doesn't it have that John Cena quality of just being slightly wrong? (laughs) Yeah, because his offense is just kind of him throwing his body at his opponent. Yeah, whenever he tries, he does like some arm locks and chain wrestling here, and it looks fucking goofy. Like, it's just, it's not that it's bad. It just looks like he was trained wrong, which, of course, he was trained in the backyard by his brother, so I guess that makes sense. Uh, The finish comes when Jericho reverses a Frankensteiner into a powerbomb and then puts Jeff in the walls for the tap out. He really cinched this in, but I feel like Jeff could have taken the Lion Tamer. I felt like for a minute Jericho was thinking about the Lion Tamer because he put him on his side for a second and kind of hesitated. And then he was like, no, 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 we'll we'll do the normal thing. Uh, Jericho refuses to break, so Sean runs in and breaks it up. Christian shows up to help Jericho beat up Sean. Sean manages to DDT both guys and then hit the sweet chin music. And he actually gets cheered by the Montreal crowd here, which is the last time that would ever happen. The crowd goes wild. Aside from Austin and Hulk, he gets the biggest pop of the night. Which is very weird because he is hated in Montreal every other time they ever went there after this. It's also worth mentioning that, like, we remember Montreal generally as being, like, a home for smart contrariness. Like, they're always going to cheer the heels or cheer the Canadians or the work rate guys. That doesn't really happen here. They cheer the baby faces pretty significantly throughout the show. Uh, Backstage, Kurt lectures Shelton and Haas about their match tonight. And then we see Evolution arrive and we get a shot of Austin's pickup truck. In the parking lot. Yes, most of Austin's time here for the next month before WrestleMania will just be him sitting in a pickup truck. Yeah, because he can't actually do anything else. Nope. Uh, For the world tag titles, we've got Lance Storm and William Regal defending against Rob Van Dam and Kane. Um, 
A great line from King. RVD's matches need subtitles because he moves faster than we can talk. That is a great line. Again, yeah. King's trying his best. He really is. Uh, early in this match, Kane kind of awkwardly slams Regal and he gets a concussion. Woof. Regal you can can't see, catch a break. You can see Kane try to pick him up and he just can't get up. So Kane covers him and he doesn't kick out. So Storm breaks up the pen. Ugh. But eventually Regal tags, tags back in and he dragon suplexes RVD. So I guess he's okay. I guess, yeah, that's that's just how quick you heal from a concussion. This company is crazy. Um, the finish comes when Storm turns Kane's mask around so he can't see. And then Kane accidentally chokeslams RVD and Regal gets the pin. Seems like we were going to get the breakup of Kane and RVD here, but doesn't happen yet. That doesn't happen for an extremely long time. I... It's funny because Kane and RVD were an extremely over tag team. Like yeah. Kane had three of these during the course of his career, whereas him and Xbox, him and RVD and him and Danielson were just like something about him with the little guy just always worked. And I really thought that the breakup between these two was going to be like a super hot angle. And it really wasn't. <laughs> At least RVD didn't get to have, have to have his testicles electrocuted like Shane did. That is a very good point. I like to imagine RVD with the cane mask on humping the mannequin in the casket. God. Maybe that could have been that storyline. Uh, backstage, Matt makes fun of Jeff for losing his match, and Jeff slaps the shit out of him. This is V1 Matt Hardy. Yeah. And he is so... This is easily the best Matt Hardy we ever got. Like, this is unbelievably good. We've got a Cruiserweight title match next as Kidman defends against Matt Hardy. The story is that Matt had to cut weight to get into the cruiserweight division, so he's a lot bigger and stronger than Kidman. All right, but let's be clear about this. The weight he has to cut to is 220 pounds, which there's probably like 10 guys in this company that weigh more than 220 pounds. They, but were, because kayfabe, they were kayfabing the shit out of these weights back then. Yeah, so Matt Hardy's build weight is 230, so they did this thing where he's got to cut 10 pounds. If Matt Hardy weighs more than 200 pounds at this point, I will eat a fucking brick. There is no way. We haven't done a game in a while, but real quickly, let's go through the guys on this card and say whether or not are they cruiserweights. Okay, I forgot. The heat match was Rey Mysterio and Jamie Noble, which actually sounds good. Those guys are both clearly actual cruiserweights. Right. Uh, both Jericho and Hardy are cruiserweights, no yeah. question. Regal is not. Storm probably. Storm is. Uh, Kane's not. RVD might be. That's right on the border. Questionable. Yeah. Like, RVD's a pretty stocky guy, and he's not short. He RVD might be 230. Hardy and Kidman obviously are. Taker and Show obviously aren't. <laughs> yeah. Benoit, also very stocky, but very short. He's, he's so muscular, but he's like right around there. Uh, uh, Benjamin? Benjamin definitely under 220. Haas probably under 220. Kurt, probably right around there, probably under. Triple H and Steiner, over. Yeah. Austin, Austin? Bischoff, I don't know, looking a little pudgy at this point. I mean, Austin's probably like 220-ish, I don't know. Like, he's not yeah. that big, really. And Rock and Hogan are definitely both over. But, like, understand that, like, 
when you're as lean as wrestlers tend to be, even though they're so muscular, the like even like the really big guys are usually under 300. Like even if you're like six and four and jack. This is when the roster is a lot bigger than it was today. Like there's a reason they dropped the cruiserweight limit down to 205 when they brought it back. And even then, like let's be clear, like these days. I don't know if there's five guys in the company who are over 220. I don't, I honestly, Cody, probably not Seth. Like Drew is Drew's huge. Roman's huge. But I like Roman's like, I would bet like 260. He's so lean. Yeah. Yeah. It's a different world now. Again. So like the idea that Matt Hardy has to cut weight to get to 220. is just such a kayfabe joke. Fat Hardy. Oh, man. Crowd is not into this at all. No, we're only doing this match so we can get the belts onto Hardy so we can wrestle Mysterio because they rightly see that Mysterio is the future of this division. Um, Has Kidman started killing people with the shooting star press yet, or does that come later? No, uh, that comes later. The irony is is that Billy Kidman is trying to bulk up past 220 as if somebody's demanded he get over 220 before he can wrestle because he's going to hit the gym enough that he's going to get unquote. so bulky he can't even do the shooting star <laughs> he stops being able to rotate and starts just landing on people's heads this is also the era of you can run if you want to but you can't like the worst why does he theme. have a dmx theme dude this is <laughs> maybe he requested it i don't know but like everything about billy kidman is not working <laughs> Hardy gets the win after Mattitude follower Shannon Moore trips Kidman on the top rope, and Matt hits a twist of fate from the top. Oh, what an innocent time it was when the MFR was an inside joke that we had on the show. We see Edge knocked out and being attended to backstage. He has neck problems and has to have surgery, so they write him out of the show here. Oh, yeah. What would Edge have done at WrestleMania? I think it would have just been him and Benoit in that. Ta- Remember, Benoit teams with Rhino in that tag match against uh, oh, the yeah, Guerreros. Yeah. And, yeah, I don't think it was going to be anything big. Man, if Edge had been in that, that match is going to be ten times better. They might have made it a ladder match. I'm kind of shocked they didn't. Wow. Goddamn. Then we've got The Undertaker against The Big Show. Are you ready for a mini lightning round in which I explain the build to this match? Oh, Lord. Yes, I guess. So Big Show injured The Undertaker all the way back in October after No Mercy. Undertaker returned at the Royal Rumble, and naturally he wanted revenge on The Big Show. But Show was dealing with back problems, and they gave him a few weeks off. So they had to come up with a series of angles that Show wouldn't be involved in. So they kept doing this thing where Big Show would deliver things to Undertaker in giant boxes. Because if you come out of a box, you're automatically over. That is a Jim Cornettism, which makes me think that much like the famous story where Vince randomly called up Dusty Rhodes to God. get a finish to a bull rope match, even though he worked for TNA at the time, maybe Vince was just like, I don't know what to do. Fucking call Corny, see if he's got any ideas. He'll have an idea for this. Or Pritchard did. Yeah. Oh, no, we're just... They do this box angle Bruce three. Never, cons- Bruce Pritchard would never back channel to someone who's been fired. Oh. <laughs> so three consecutive weeks they do this shit. So first they had Brian Kendrick 
come out as a singing messenger. First of all, they signed. I want to do like a quick aside about Brian Kendrick. So on the first few Ring of Honor shows, some somebody in WWE who's doing a scouting job gets a tape of Brian Kendrick to Vince, who is enamored with Kendrick because he's the only indie guy he's ever seen who can work a character. Because he was doing like he's coming out to Genie in a bottle and doing his yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio thing. They sign him. They have nothing to do with this guy. Nothing. <laughs> In the well, first six months he works here, the only thing he does is streak past Stephanie McMahon and do this singing telegram thing. Then they were in Philadelphia and they had Brother Love come out of the box. Okay, so you're right. It was Bruce. Because <laughs> he puts himself in the fucking box. He's also writing SmackDown at the time. God, what a fucking bankrupt ass mind he has. And then they had Canyon come out of the box dressed as Boy George. Oh, was Canyon publicly out at this point? I the, the whole Canyon thing. I don't think so. And the whole I've never quite because he came out and then didn't he later say he wasn't gay? He did, yeah. But that was that just because he thought he couldn't get signed if people thought he was gay? Well, yeah. So he comes out. After he gets released, and then he no he can't get work anywhere, so I think he assumes that's because he's gay, uh, which might very well have been, to be totally honest. And but like, and then he eventually kills himself, which is great. Um, Taker hit he, him with an incredibly nasty chair shot here. People said that this was Canyon's idea to come out here as Boy George. Look. Mm. This is fucked up. <laughs> yeah, that have, just feels like that's just like the classic Bruce Pritchard cop out. He doesn't remember shit, but he remembers that something that looks really bad for the company was actually the guy's idea. Yeah. First of all, this coming out of a box angle is stupid. Secondly, you're gonna have the guy that everyone backstage knows is gay come out and do a boy George impersonation and get hard weighed with a chair by the Undertaker. <laughs> cool. Apparently, Show had lost a lot of weight coming into this match, and he said in an interview with WWE.com that he was wearing a pair of tights he had worn back in WCW here. Oh, I'm sure he was proud of that. Hard to tell since he's wearing jeans. <laughs> he didn't wear the jeans here. That's true. He wore the jeans on like the sh- the last show before the lead. Oh yeah, this. he had been wearing the jeans like for months before this. I I never I've never understood the jeans. Do you think he was? Maybe he had like a knee. Maybe he had a knee brace, and he didn't want to show that. That probably makes sense. Or a back brace, maybe. I wish. I bet Andre wishes he could have worn jeans when he had <laughs> his back brace. He was having back problems, so maybe that's it. I just. I. I don't know. Like in terms of the all-time Big Show looks, there are so many bad ones to choose from. But the, the jeans, jeans and the flat are, top with like the yeah. big mustache is a walrus mustache. But the big, the long, greasy hair is probably the worst. You know who's in great shape here is The Undertaker. I was going to say that, too. He was so the best shape he was ever in. This is is about as good as I've ever seen him look. Like, obviously, later on, he's going to slim down a lot. But but he looks jacked here. Like, he looks because he's been off for a couple of months. He's clearly gotten in really fantastic shape. 
And all of that, and I, I'm sure he's been working out every day at the gym with Nathan Jones trying to get him to some workable something. Uh, all of that for what's going to become the most embarrassing WrestleMania of his career. I love the hype about Big Show having cut weight and then he's sucking wind like two minutes into this match. Yeah, Big Show does not look any smaller or better here. Also, so we've talked many times about what match we've covered the most in the history of the show, which I would love to actually look up. But I mean, I'm not going to go back through. No, that's that's a little tough. Yeah, all but 300 of our episodes with like Randy Orton versus Sheamus and uh, like I mean, Sheamus Rock versus, versus Steve Austin. We've done a bunch. Ziggler versus Kofi. Yeah, and... it's one of those matches. They would just always go back to this one. But yeah, Undertaker versus Big Show. But at least. Look, Randy versus Sheamus is boring, but it has a certain level of quality that you can expect. Same with like Ziggler versus Kofi, definitely with Rock versus Austin. There has never been a good Undertaker versus Big Show match. I I can't even imagine what it feels like there's a good match they could have where the Undertaker has to like change up his game and do a bunch of high flying stuff to beat him. But that never happens. Instead, they just punch each other. No, The Undertaker in 1996 versus The Big Show, like in 2008, could have been a good match. But that's not that's not the reality here. So toward the end of the match, Taker gets Big Show in his Dragon Sleeper, the Taker Care of Business. Yes, the Taker Care of Business. That's correct. And then A-Train comes down to interfere. So Taker hits a massive plancha, gets like 10 feet in the air. This was one of the best ones he ever did. Again, when you compare this to like his later career planches where he was barely clearing the ropes, this is so clearly the best shape he's maybe ever been in in his life. This is certainly the last time he was in this good shape ever in his career. But yeah, he like, he supermans over this shit. Back in the ring, Big Show hits Taker with a choke slam, but when he goes to pin him, Taker gets him with the triangle choke, and Big Show passes out. Now, this okay. is interesting, because this is, is this the beginning of Taker starting to use, like, MMA stuff as yeah. part of his thing? Yeah, this is the first time I remember Taker becoming the MMA fighter. And maybe that's why he's in such good shape. Maybe he started doing, like, jujitsu or something in his free time. I don't know, but I think he was ahead of his time in doing that, in a way, like it didn't click for a while, but by the time we got to like the Hell's Gate, it finally starts working for him, you know? It's kind of weird for him, just because he's so big, the idea of him having to do like these holds where especially like in like things like Triangle Chokes and the Go Go Plata and wrestling are weird because your shoulder, like with the Go Go Plata, your shoulders are on the mat. You're right. super, you're putting yourself in a really vulnerable position. The people who really should have incorporated this, like this should have become like part of Benoit's deal. Yeah, Benoit, Kurt. Like, especially this basically was Benoit's deal is that like all he has on you is that he can lock you in some shit. Like that's why he can beat the Lesners of the world. A-Train jumps in the ring and attacks Taker to hit the derailer, setting up that hot match for WrestleMania. I know that A-Train doesn't really have a ton of charisma and his matches like were him. never in. If they had just shaved him, like. 
there's Dude just shaved his back. There's just no getting past the wall of back hair. And look, I'm a man with back hair. I'm not trying to like bash on the guy, but everyone else up and down the roster is like clean shaven and waxed. And then there's just one fuzzy dude. And like, it's distracting. Oh, they show edge being loaded into an ambulance. That's another guy who never had to cut his hair. By the time he got back, I think that mandate had gone away. It was mostly for like the newer guys. Yeah. And also, I want any more long haired guys. I also wonder if it was partially for guys that Vince kind of wanted to get rid of anyway. Because if, like, Christian and Tess had quit, does yeah. Vince really give a shit? <laughs> Finally get rid of that rat-faced Christian. <laughs> the idea that he cut his hair and showed up at TV, Vince must have been like, he's handsome now? Oh, God, God damn it! <laughs> he became super hot. Stupid sexy Christian. Oh, then we see Bischoff and Chief of Staff Sean Morley, the former Val Venus. I always forget this was a thing that happened. Um, yeah, what did you think of Captain Morley, or Chief Morley, as the uh, authority figure? I thought he needed something other than Val Venus, but I don't know, this wasn't great. He's a guy who they tried a bunch of stuff with after the Val Venus run, and honestly... While he was perfectly fine as a performer, I think they probably should have just cut their losses earlier on him because he just was never able to do anything else. Well, what it, the valuable niche he ended up filling was he just became the dark match guy because they knew he knew how to wrestle. So if somebody couldn't have a good match with him, they knew the, the guy wasn't any good. It's weird that they ever got rid of X-Pac because he yeah. was the perfect version of that. And they could have just held on to him because at this point... Xbox only like 31. <laughs> yeah, but he was on a lot of drugs. Well, you're right about that, yeah. Morley says they've got an army of guys ready to back Bischoff up. Vince shows up and says that he was so impressed with Bischoff's karate demonstration on JR that if anyone gets involved in the match, Vince will fire them. When Vince McMahon walked onto screen here, did you also have like a visceral reaction to it? Because like I, and I know that we see Vince on like all of these shows, but for some reason, just seeing he's him extra, here for the first time in a while, skeezy in this era. Yeah, when well, he walks I mean, on screen here, I was just like, week we were doing him in the like it was the middle of the whole Trish thing. That's a good point. But like oh three Vince is maybe the most demonic he ever was. This is the year where he like. Has a match with his Beats daughter and hits Stephanie. her with a lead pipe. Yeah. Stephanie cries to him about how he trafficked her. This is the match where this is the time where he has the match with Hulk at WrestleMania where he like rises from the ring and looks like yeah. bloody Satan. He beats the shit out of Zach Gowan. Has Brock push him down the stairs. Just, oh my God. All right, then we've got Team Angle against Brock Lesnar and Chris Benoit. Cole says Benoit and Lesnar had the option to choose a partner, but they declined. What dumbasses. That is the realest shit ever there. Because it's... Imagine going backstage as Brock Lesnar and Chris Benoit and being like, hey, anybody like us enough to team with us? And just silence crickets. No, no one likes you guys. Anybody want to go get stretched by Kurt Angle and his gang of shooters? (laughs) Sorry, boss. I don't think I can make that one. Also, Lesnar's been a dickhead everyone hated who was annihilating the roster right up until about a month ago. So 
I know they're in Canada, but Benoit got a significantly bigger pop than Lesnar here coming out. They are so tunnel vision on Lesnar that they are ignoring all of the it's signs not that they face at all. In in future years, even when they had, even when they decided to like stay the course with Cena and Roman, they at least noticed that the crowd wasn't in. I don't think Vince even thinks about it. I don't think any it ever occurs to him that it's not working. He was just like, yeah, people were cheering him as a but it was really just in Long Island. I feel like it was really just at SummerSlam he was getting cheered. And also like, but that's because as a heel he had become such an unstoppable yeah. like fucking killing machine. And people were mad at The Rock. They were more mad at The Rock than they were in love with Lesnar. Um, I don't know. This match was fine. Do you have any big thoughts here? For the people in it, you would have thought it was better. But again, Angle's neck is holding on by a thread. They kind of smartly keep him out of the match, both because I think they want to save him and Lesnar for WrestleMania. And because, yeah, you know, he's maybe not physically capable of taking many bumps here. So this match is basically Haas and Benjamin versus Lesnar and Benoit, and there's no drama there because Lesnar and Benoit eviscerate Haas and Benjamin, as of course they would. They run through, at the end, they do a bunch of counters, like Kurt and Benoit keep going back and forth between the crossface and the ankle lock. And then Benoit gets Haas in the crossface and Haas taps out. Was he actually the legal man? I don't think so. Yeah, that was strange. They... You know, didn't really even bother with making the tag there. This is just so messy. And like, again, they Lesnar's not over and Angle can't work. I honestly think that like the the better choice that they should have pivoted to was Lesnar Benoit. That was reportedly the backup plan if Kurt couldn't do WrestleMania. And like face Benoit against kind of the default heel Lesnar, I think would have gotten over. Well, that's the thing is that like so back at the Rumble, when they know yeah. when Angle knows that he's fucked up, they should have just put the belt on Benoit. And yeah, then that would have been something if Benoit had actually won that match. Like we would remember that match forever if Benoit wins that match. Yeah. And then you can do a thing. I don't know how you get to like super mega heel Lesnar against Benoit, but like Brock can turn on a dime is the thing. Wouldn't it be, it'd be pretty similar to the build to the match with Eddie, where it's just like him just clowning Benoit, like, what a joke, you can't beat me, blah, blah, blah. The the way I probably would have gone is just, if Kurt's injured, have Kurt vacate the title, have Benoit win a tournament to, like, get to the finals to face Lesnar at WrestleMania so he can have a series of really good matches on the way in and really build his heat. But... Again, we're, we're we're playing around with a game where that just isn't reasonable because Vince sees Brock as a babyface. Yeah. And there, there's no way you can do a heel Benoit against a face Lesnar at WrestleMania. No, that's a joke. Although they tried to do heel Kurt versus face Lesnar. Yeah, but Kurt's at least a little. It's not that Benoit's not credible, but he's even so much smaller than Kurt, you know? He's so tiny. Yeah. But who else is there? Him and Lesnar are a great combination. They have that awesome match on SmackDown where where he convinced the Brock Brock Lock. Yeah, that was great with Benoit as the underdog who just wouldn't, you know, give up. He like keeps kicking out of F5s and everything else. So Brock invents. If you've never seen the Brock Lock, because he only did it like twice. How many guys could he actually do that to? He sits on your head 
He, it's a stretch muffler. So he puts his leg over his shoulder and oh, your body like drapes over his shoulders to the ground. And then he does a squat where he sits down on your head while he stretches your foot all the way around his body until you're almost kicking yourself in the head. It's the worst submission of all time to be in. I think the only other guy he ever did that to was Ray. Yeah. Fuck me. He should have brought that back against like AJ and Danielson just to be like, <sighs> guess what, fuckers? <laughs> All right, next up, they roll the promo for the World Heavyweight title match. It's Triple H versus Scott Steiner, set to bring me to life by Evanescence. Again, this this storyline up to this point has been a terrible match and a lot of, like, bodybuilding Posing, competitions. Triple H wearing a thong, like... So it's like, wake me up, me up inside... <laughs> While Scott Steiner's like limping to the ring. (laughs) Tries to throw a suplex and just falls down. Literally, this is like, this should have been like the music to like rock versus Austin. Like this is some epic tier one level hype up music for the crap. Like we've enjoyed this storyline in our own way, but for the least high stakes storyline of all time. (laughs) There's this now running joke on wrestling Twitter where people are like, you can make any match look good through highlights. And it's basically true. And I think this video package is an example of that. Yeah. <laughs> like you set it to a banger song and you only show the highlights. It'll look good. I remember in the halcyon days of the internet, uh, I was, I did like TV production for a bunch of years. I thought I was going to be in film when I was younger, blah, blah, blah. Not the point. But, like, I was, like, out there making these clip videos, mostly just for myself. And, like, I would find, like, some crappy-ass, like, ECW match between guys I'd never heard of. And I'd just be cutting it together and putting it to, like, Linkin Park or whatever. And, like, I would show it to my friends and they'd be like, yo, what a banger match. And I'd be like, these were the only five moments that were good. (laughs) It's just a true fact. Music makes everything better. The only notable development since the Royal Rumble is the formation of Evolution. But that's pretty notable, right? Yeah. That Evolution debuts to fight Scott Steiner? How could you stop him otherwise? It's Big Papa Pump, the Big Bad Booty Daddy, Freakzilla. <laughs> the Big Bad Booty Daddy. He was going to be Triple H's Big Bad Booty Daddy if he didn't have backup here. Oh, man. That's the funny thing. The way... The way we see this storyline, which is to say Scott Steiner comes in with like drop foot. Is that what he has? Yeah. And like can't walk and then embarrasses himself in two matches versus the way he's portrayed, which as an unstoppable killing machine that will annihilate Triple H if he doesn't cheat in every way possible. The crowd turns on, on Steiner like 30 seconds into this match. Again, they even booed the push ups. It's so easy to protect Scott in here. First of all, he shouldn't have wrestled a singles match until WrestleMania. That's just obvious. Like, what are we doing? Like, come on. The fact that they went 20 in the first match is a joke. The fact that they go 13 here is a joke. I thought this one was going to be like eight tops. This should have been four minutes. I'm not even joking. They get in there, Steiner starts beating his ass, sits into the recliner, here comes Evolution. That would have been perfectly fine. Steiner kicks Triple H's leg out from under him, and his foot gives out, so he falls flat on his ass. 
against the number of like botchamania style shit over the years that we've gotten for Steiner. And I feel like it's so unfair because the man is literally dealing with a disability here (laughs) and he's being put in an impossible situation. Uh, Steiner beats up Triple H, hits him with a T-bone suplex, puts him in the figure four. Triple H gets control. The crowd is bored and starts chanting, you screwed Brad at Earl Hebner. God. Triple H works over Steiner as the crowd chants, boring. Triple H tries to get himself disqualified by roughing up Hebner, but Hebner refuses. And... Triple H or Hebner slaps Triple H. You fucking with the wrong guy, Trips. Triple H's yeah. greatest nemesis has always been Earl Hebner. I Once bet you Triple H called that as an audible because the, the match had yeah. no heat. He's like, let's go back to, to old faithful. I once heard an amazing heckling story about some NBA coach going off on the ref while his team was getting their ass kicked. And Leon the Barber, famous heckler in Detroit, yelled at the guy, he's not going to throw you out. He's going to tell you to sit down and watch the rest of this game. Uh, Steiner with a belly-to-belly suplex to a chorus of boos and then a superplex, but Flair breaks up the pin. At this point, Orton and Batista run in. Steiner beats them both up. Steiner knocks out Flair. Triple H goes for the pedigree. Steiner counters. Evolution runs in again. Steiner beats him up again. And while Hebner is distracted throwing Evolution out, Steiner hits Triple H in the face with the title belt. But Steiner kicks out of two, so Triple H pedigrees his ass and pins him. I mean, I know that they're just trying to get away from Steiner as much as possible. But, like, this is... There is no reason to protect him. He's done. I agree, but if he there's doesn't no wrestle reason to, another match of any significance for the rest of his WWE run, if they're done with him, shouldn't you just have Evolution beat his fucking ass like Shield yeah, style? That's actually a good idea. They should have just killed him and written him off. Yeah, I would have just had like the match go five minutes, then here comes Evolution, and then they like power bomb him, RKO, pedigree, 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 like kill him. Is there anything you could have done with Steiner that would have worked? Could he have been? Like the world's most jacked manager, maybe. I think trying to put him in a tag team was probably a pretty smart idea. Test was a horrific idea as a partner partner, for him. But yeah. I think going the comedy route with Steiner is one of the smartest things that TNA did. Because that's where the, the actual fun lies with Steiner is that he's just a ridiculous human being. Oh, like I've I've got an idea. Him... An angle and somebody else. Intensity, intelligence, integrity. Ooh. Steiner's intensity. Angle is integrity. Somebody needs to be intelligence. Oh man, if Nowitzki hadn't Nowitzki, gotten all those concussions. Yeah. Oh god, Nowitzki. Nowitzki and Steiner had a verbal debate about the Iraq War in 2002. Dude, if those three motherfuckers were in a stable together, that'd be the That's funniest fucking segments in the world. Yeah. Them just cruising for women. <laughs> yeah, that's the best I've got. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in for that. I don't know. Like, it, it, 
wrestling companies eventually realize that people like that he's a ridiculous human being and that's what gives him the rest of his career but as far as like a serious wrestler the second he develops this foot disorder it's done like there's no coming back uh we see bischoff on his way to the ring he walks through catering and all the baby faces laugh at him ironically test is the one who gets the most screen time if you're gonna put him on tv just let him wrestle the match And then we've got Steve Austin against Eric Bischoff. We kick things off with JR making a surprise return to commentary despite having his head smashed with a cinder block on Raw. He says iconically when he puts the headset on, I'm just here to see a man get his ass whooped. Her. Yeah. Bischoff comes out first in his gi with thick gloves on. Those seem like a disadvantage in a wrestling match. Why would you do because he has to like defend Austin against his hands? Though I do remember hearing that like Bischoff sometimes had trouble like pulling his karate shit because sure. he didn't really practice that. So like yeah, he's not a tra- he's not a trained wrestler. He's a trained professional like karate fighter. Here's the thing too, like the people who do like karate and wrestling, it usually looks super hokey and fake, and yet it has the capacity to hurt so much more than this normal stuff people do. Yeah, karate kicks are really dangerous. You get hit with one, you get knocked out. Yeah, that's what they're for. <laughs> like, like he's literally trained to hit you as quickly as possible, as precisely as possible to, like, knock you the fuck out. And he's not, like, the greatest karate man of all time like they portray him to be. Yeah. But he did used to, like, fight in competitions and shit. I'm sure he could still throw a kick. Also, he was, like, a points fighter. And there's, like, points fighter and, like, yeah. actual, like, not real he, fighters. He, he didn't do full contact. Ernest the Cat Miller did, though. Uh, He gets on the mic to ask that the match be called off. Austin's music hits, and he comes out. He is ridiculously jacked. It's like he's been doing nothing but rage-lifting weights. Like he's been in prison for the last nine months. (laughs) He was for a little bit of it. I don't think he actually spent any time in jail. I think he just like turned himself in. Yeah, he's just been at home. Yeah. His wife left him. Thunder he's just sitting at home stewing in the gym. Yeah. yeah. Austin whips Bischoff's ass. Bischoff manages to rake his eyes and he kicks him, but Austin just laughs in his face. I think there's a picture of Bischoff that surfaced around this time where he's just like bruised all over because Austin was so like ramped up. He was like shoot stomping the shit out of it. I mean, I'm sure they were cool by this point, but also I'm sure Steve Austin didn't mind getting some licks in on Eric Bischoff. Yeah, He's been at home stewing and pissed off. He's channeling that here against the man that he still does not care for. Austin stuns him. He pulls him up on the pin, stuns him again and pins him, and then stuns him a third time after the match. Four minutes, all it needed to be. I mean, this is a raw segment. This is kind of like a waste of a pay-per-view thing. Yeah, but it's Austin's return. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's just so funny because the match before sucks. This is something. And then we're going to get to another match that, unfortunately, not great. Austin can't do a beer bash after the match because it would have violated his probation. He's not allowed to drink alcohol as part of that. Wow. They kind of surprised him. he was. I'm kind of surprised he was allowed to go to Canada. 
with a criminal conviction. That's a good point. I didn't even think about that. I think I guess it was a misdemeanor he pled guilty to, but like it feels like people have not been allowed to go to Canada for some very minor criminal things. Yeah, I think like somebody had like misdemeanor pot possession and they were like banned for like I think it was like Brian Christopher or something like that. No, but he was caught crossing the border with the uh, weed. So that's yeah, why he got banned. You. Yeah, that's right. All right, main event time. We've got The Rock against Hollywood Hogan. This is the debut of the Hollywood Rock entrance. He hadn't done it before this. This is the greatest entrance in wrestling history, you guys. He's got to bring this back. And this is the really long version. They would shorten it after this. Let me paint you a word picture of the Hollywood Rock entrance, okay? Because the normal Rock entrance is just like an explosion of sounds of like, if you smell and the big drums and it's exciting comes bursting out of the back. Instead of that, he's just like, you know what people hate when you make them wait. There is a minute and 47 seconds before his music even hits where it's just like, uh, hmm, as like a helicopter yeah. flies over the Los Angeles skyline and the downtown and the traffic and it's just you can hear the crowd getting restless as this yeah. goes on and on and on. <laughs> and then right when you think it's going to explode, he just goes, if you smell. And it's the, like that. The, uh, that I didn't like. I prefer the just the is cooking. Yes, that's so much better. They would change and then it's it like this. such a slowed down version of his song that's not exciting. Like he's like it's this is as much an antithesis as physically possible. The amount of thought that goes into transforming him into this character is so incredible. He gets a lot of heat here. I was impressed. Getting himself booed is like a genuine work of art because like we're pretty long separated from that match. And SummerSlam, which again, they, not everybody was booing him about that at the time anyway. And he's doing such entertaining shit, you'd think he'd get cheered, but no, no, then no. Again, he's wrestling Hulk Hogan in Canada, and for whatever reason, Hogan is a god in Canada. That is the thing. Hulk Hogan could run for Prime Minister of Toronto. He probably wouldn't get elected in Montreal, but he'd make the cabinet. <laughs> Man, the pop in Montreal. He got a, I mean, the incredible ovation in Montreal after WrestleMania. I think we can all agree, and it doesn't matter how you feel about Hulk Hogan. That is, if not the loudest pop of all time, definitely the most sustained. Yeah. It's like seven minutes of wa- a wall yeah. of sound. And got, like it would get bigger and bigger as it went on. Like it would start to die down and then it would come back up. And then it gets its biggest when like Hulk literally starts crying because yeah. he's just like, what the fuck? Because Hulk thought they were going to hate him. Because he left. <laughs> I bet you Hulk wondered if they'd even really remember. We pretty quickly see that Hogan is not doing well physically. He just can't really move. The the amount he's aged so much. Yeah, Yeah. from like the previous year, he wasn't great, but he didn't seem this old. Then again, he's wrestled essentially a full time schedule on the road for a year now, which is the first time he's done that since like 1991. Yeah. So I'm sure that aged him quite a bit. 
He's probably he's definitely taken more losses and bumps this year than he has any year of his career since WrestleMania one. Rock hits a rock bottom about two minutes into the match, but Hogan kicks out. That should have just been the end. <laughs> then he puts on Hogan's bandana and gets his white belt and whips him with it. I can't express to you how much better like the physical charisma that the rock has as Hollywood rock where every movement he does has just like a little bit extra on it. Like every time that like Hogan would fire up, his eyes would get really huge and he'd be like, Oh, what, what, Oh my God. Oh, what am I going to do? Like literally every moment is just like extracted to its maximum effect. I've never seen anybody do this. I love the Samoan drop and the clapping the yes. where he does the kip up. Yeah. He develops a whole new move, like move set based around being a dickhead. Rock turns the tide and whips Hogan with the belt. <laughs> you got to work the belt because they don't have much else to do. Yep. Rock hits a DDT, puts Hogan in the sharpshooter, but Hogan powers out and drives him all the way to the floor. Hogan gets a chair. He wears Rock out with it. The referee gets it away from Hogan, and Rock uses the distraction to hit a low blow. Rock then hits two people's elbows. Hogan kicks out. He hulks up. He hit punches the big boot, drops the leg, but when he makes the cover, the lights go out. Did you actually think there was any chance Hulk was going to win this match? No, because it just wouldn't have made sense. I mean, yeah. The only I, thing you could say is he lost the first time to Rock, but like it just made all the sense in the world to have Vince screw him. I, th- I thought he, they were gonna do. I thought they were gonna do another Montreal screw job, but Rock which, was, Rock wouldn't have gone along. I'm sure Vince wanted to do that, but Rock wouldn't have done it. Let's be clear. You remember how we said earlier in the show that Rock hates Shawn Michaels? It yeah. might not be common knowledge that the reason he hates Shawn Michaels is because of the Montreal screw job, because no one in the world was more in the bat. You, you think your Dax Harwood and CM Punk yeah. are big Bret Hart fans? No, The Rock is the biggest Bret Hart fan. <laughs> when the lights come back on, the referee is knocked out. This is where I remember that this is Sylvain Grenier. Yeah, okay, here's the irony. They're not doing the Montreal screw job. They dug deep in the bag for their other screw job. This is the fucking twin referees kind of screw job. <laughs> yeah. I it's impressive how much like obviously at the time nobody knew who Granier was, but it didn't click with me that this was him. Like I've seen this match before, but I had forgotten what happened. Also, like even though he's in like really great shape, it doesn't really occur to you that he's like a yeah. wrestler. He just he's looks small, like a ref. smaller than the two guys he's in there with. Yeah. So, yeah, like, so you don't think that you just assume that it's a ref bump. So everyone in the arena is like looking around for like who's run in like, oh, who was it? Who was it? Who was it? Psych. Vince comes out and I believe the crowd chants asshole in French Adam. The crowd explodes with booze. The referee wakes up, slides Rock the chair, Rock blasts Hogan with the chair, and then he hits the rock bottom, makes the cover. The referee wakes up again and counts the one, two, three. Not not on the level of the WrestleMania match. No. If they wanted to get heat on Vince, they did it. Because, like, he's getting, like, it's raining booze here at the 
end of the match. But this match is not good. It's just not. Oh, man. And after the match, Vince takes off his shirt to reveal a Hogan shirt, and he poses to show off the fact that he has a better physique than Hogan does at this point. Which, of course, he does. That is just the wild thing about this feud, is on the one hand, it seems silly that, like, Vince could beat Hogan, but they're not that far apart in age, and Vince is in much better shape. That's the thing. And like Hogan's so broken down and like this is still fairly young looking Vince that like, no, yeah, Vince looks like he could absolutely whoop Hogan's ass. Like if they met on the street, there'd be no question. I think this may have been the most jacked Vince ever was. You also forget that like until they wrestled, I always forget that Vince is like six two. You know what I mean? Like very tall. It was just a, him being an announcer was so absurd. He was as tall as the wrestlers and just as jacked as most of them. Yeah. Oh boy. So how do you feel about this show as a whole, buddy? I loved it, but it wasn't good. No, you know, it was one of those, like it was so fun to revisit this particular time, but this is not a good wrestling show. And it's funny because all the chaos going into this WrestleMania, this is other than Cena. Is this the last time the rock got to like even be in the ring with anyone remotely on his level aside from like, cause like the Goldberg thing. Well, he only wrestled like four more matches after this. Yeah. Like, and I think that's part of what kept him away though. It's like aside until Cena like really got to that point, And until now that Roman's really gotten to that point, who the fuck was he supposed to wrestle in between? I mean, who are you coming back to wrestle? Are you wrestling Batista? Orton? Well, I would have loved that. Fucking, <laughs> you, fucking Rock Batista probably would have been pretty rad, if I'm being honest. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Final thoughts here. <laughs> Again, I had the time of my life watching this, but it sucked. Yeah. This is such a fabulously chaotic era. Uh, that I had a great time watching it too. Uh, but also, I can't let you get away without trying to stump you, buddy. I got one. I got to stump Steve in the chamber. Are you ready? Uh, what do we got this week? The next Montreal pay-per-view after the Montreal Screwjob. They had not had a pay-per-view in Montreal since yeah. that show, okay? Yep. Can you name the people who wrestled on this show who also wrestled on that show? Oh, man. Uh, there are three. The Rock. The Rock. Uh, Triple H did not wrestle on that show. That's correct. He was backing up Sean. Yeah. Sean doesn't wrestle on this show. Weirdly enough. Yep. I almost says people. I almost said people who just appeared, but then like most of the referees did. So that's that adds weird. in about yeah, that adds in a bunch of people. Okay, yeah. so I'm gonna have to like think through that card. Uh, the Undertaker's on. No, the Undertaker didn't wrestle on Survivor Series '97 either. No, he didn't. That's weird. The Big Show wasn't there yet. Jericho wasn't there. Hardy was a jobber. Regal wasn't there. Storm wasn't there. Van Dam wasn't there. Kane wrestled on that show. Kane wrestled Kane, Foley. Kane did wrestle on that show, yes. Yeah. Um, 
Oh god, the rest of that. There were some weird Survivor Series matches on that card. Uh, you had the Nation against Shamrock and the LOD. Gold Dust was on that show, but not on this one. Oh, who is that's the, the irony? There's a lot of guys who could have been on this show. Yeah, there's a lot of guys who are around who don't wrestle on this show. Um, oh, Austin's on both. Austin, correct. Those are the three: Rock, Austin, and Kane. All right, pretty good trio. Yeah, I was hoping that you'd forget about Kane, but of course you didn't, you motherfuckers. Yeah. No, there were a bunch of other people. I, like, I was thinking of Undertaker. I was thinking of Undertaker versus Mankind, but that was Survivor Series 96. I considered not telling you how many they were, but I think that you would have, like, driven yourself insane trying to remember if, like, Jeff Hardy wrestled on, like, the dark match on Survivor yeah, Series. I been like, well, God, who is in some of those Survivor Series? There's, like, a Godwins and Blackjacks and New Age Outlaws match. Furnace and Lafon, I think. Yeah, there's still a ton of people left in the company from that show, but none of them are on this show. Yeah, weirdly enough. You did not stump Steve. Nope, sure didn't. <laughs> All right, next time, we're going to jump forward a full decade to uh, The Rock defending the WWE Championship against the one and only CM Punk. Man, that would be a fun match to see again these days. I think they would both die, though. (laughs) They would definitely try to kill each other and themselves, and I don't think it would end well for anyone. Every muscle in both of their bodies would explode about five minutes in. (laughs) healthy quad on a pole match i like that again this is a match that's gonna go 20 minutes the one the the month before went 30 they do an hour in the ring in two months yeah elimination chamber 2013 what else is on this show i don't really remember i think this is where jack swagger's getting his big push hey buddy you know what's on the show dolph ziggler versus kofi kingston oh of course (laughs) so yeah we got the Shield versus Cena, Ryback, and Sheamus. Imagine those dudes going clubbing together. We got a follow-up to that Del Rio Big Show match from the Rumble that we are the only fans of in the entire world. Hey, there we go. And it it does feel weird to have only one Elimination Chamber match. But yes, there is only one with Swagger, Orton, Jericho, Henry Kane, and Daniel Bryan. That is... Not great, Bob. And uh, and finished the story watch. Cody Rhodes is in the dark match, teaming with Damian Sandow against tons of funk. <laughs> These next couple shows are going to form a trilogy, and the absolute garbage that Cody is up to in each of them is going to be really funny. It's funny because Danielson in, is so much a stand-in for like the modern Cody and so much of this other stuff. But it's just going to be so funny to look in the background and see little Cody banished into shittiness. <laughs> yeah, being stardust, having a mustache. Who's to think that 11 years later, he would be the king? Yeah, not me. Nope. <laughs> so yeah, we'll have all that and more next time on the Lawcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time.